Hello and a warm welcome to episode 128 of Back of the Net, the AFC Bournemouth podcast. My name's Sam Davis, it's August and a new season is upon us. It's the 21-22 season and we've got a new manager. Although from listening to the audio pod, you might not know that because our last show, episode 127, was back in early June. And that was after Jeff Mostyn spoke to Chris Temple, the first time he's done an interview at length for more than four years. And on that show, it's myself, Jeff and Tom with Chris Temple, who spoke about said interview and a review of the cherry season and a preview to what was to come. So, yeah, Scott Parker in charge. Now, of course, you'll know if you're a YouTube subscriber that we've covered this to the nth degree, and that's where all our content goes first, including the pods, okay? So do subscribe at youtube.com forward slash AFCB podcast because, well, it is taking preference. However, the pod that you're listening to now will be dropping every Sunday night in a video format before it ends up on your podcast app on the Monday, okay? So it's just going to make it easier for us to do things going forward. But we have moved Provider from Podiant to Castos, and that caused a few technical issues, I've got to say. So that's why there's been a bit of a delay over the summer for bringing you any content. But what we will do is drip feed some of the best content that we managed to post, something that's not time critical, including a couple of interviews, and we'll pop them on the pod on the early part of the season. So at least you audio people don't feel as though you've missed out on anything. So a brand new season is upon us. And well, Sky TV obviously thought that it was a tasty curtain raiser because it was televised, not only in the UK, but around the world. Two sides with new managers, with different reasons for being exasperated at the end of the previous season, plus with both teams driven and determined as ever to get back to the big time. What could be better than a match under the lights to kick off the domestic season? We couldn't wait. On this pod, it's myself, Tom Jordan, Neil Dawson and Kurt Tovey as we chew the fat. And just a heads up, for this season, because we are taking the audio from the video pod on a Sunday night, there may be references to comments on screen or guffaws to things that we may be seeing that might be unexplained in audio format, but at least it just gives you an indication of what we're going to be doing going forward. Because, to be honest, it takes ages to put these audio pods together. So as long as you understand that, then all is good. So, let's get cracking. So, to discuss events at Dean Court, we have got pod regular Tom Jordan with us. Tom, how are you, buddy? Very good, thanks, boss. Very good. And also with us, we have got the return of Back of the Net's very own lovable rogue. It's Neil Dawson. Neil, how are you? Lovable. I'll take that, Sam. I'll take that. I'm very good. Great to be back. And also, we would have had a Back of the Net regular, but look, it's our very first pod uh, of this season. And we wanted to fill it and have it as a four-way chat. And we put out a tweet, first person to respond. And look... You know, there were quite a few people that have responded to the tweet and we will get back to you to apologise, but this was the first person in. And let's be fair, his YouTube channel has been doing brilliant. Cherry's Red Army. Congratulations, Kirk, on reaching a milestone recently. It is Mr. Kirk Tovey 
from Cherry's Red Army, who's here for the very first pod of the season. Kirk, how are you? I'm doing really well. Thank you for having me on again, Sam. And congratulations, mate. Very, very good work. And look, all we want to do is provide AFCB content. You do, uh, we do. And look, we're working together and you've done a good job with what you're doing so far. So congratulations for that, mate. Yeah, it's um, never really set any expectations back in January. You know, have a bit of fun. If I put one smile on a cherry's face, I'd achieve something. Can 500 subscribers just after six months is um, mind-blowing to me and amazing and couldn't have done it without Back of the Net, all the team, and especially you, Sam. I mean, become a good friend off-air and um, give me a lot of advice and, and help me along the way. So really appreciate it. And everyone who follows Cherry's Red Army and this amazing channel, uh, thank you very much. Cool, cool. So what we'll do uh, for people who are listening, uh, we're going to be flashing messages on screen and quite often we may be referring to them. So if you hear Neil, you know, guffaw just randomly, it's probably because he's seen something on screen that he disagree with. If you see Tom laughing or clapping, that'll be because uh, someone's probably praising him yet again. Tom, you always seem to get the praise on this channel, I've got to say. But anyway, Neil, come to you first. Um, look, it's good to be back. Hey, eh? we've had a whole season of streams last time round, and over the summer we've had endless international games. But there is nothing quite like watching a match back in our spiritual home, is there? No, it was absolutely fantastic to be back. Um, it felt to me as well. I don't know if it's just because I've been away so long, but that nine nine and a half thousand felt like about eighteen thousand. Mm. Just the noise. I think everyone was uh, everyone that doesn't normally sing was singing um the uh yeah the atmosphere was fantastic it was just so it just filled your heart full of joy to be back in the ground i wasn't really particularly over bothered about the result it was all, almost more for me just the fact that we were all back in seeing the people that you sit around who you don't realize but they kind of become friends over the years they know you, they know your family they know bits about you just brilliant to be back yeah and tom explain your emotions as you um as you walked into dean court with a with a full stadium although the Although the attendance, when you look at it, suggests that it wasn't full, under 10,000. But, you know, how did you feel? Yeah, it was amazing. Reiterate everything that Neil said. It was just, it did feel like the kind of result took a back seat, really, because it was just about being back in there. And, yeah, you obviously want to see a decent performance. Certainly don't want to lose it, which obviously we didn't. But, yeah, just to get back in there, like you say, see some faces that, yeah, you're normally used to seeing every other week. And then you haven't seen them for God knows how long. So, yeah, it was really nice. And, like Neil said, it did feel like there's probably people that don't normally sing maybe as loud were, were really giving it a go. It, it felt really nice. It kind of reminded me a little bit of that um, Villa game, the first Premier League game, where it just that had something something different about it, you know. Um, yeah. And it, it was it was great. And yeah, it must have been a great moment for Scotty Parker as well, his, his first game, league game. And yeah, it was it was awesome. So just great to be back, mate. And it was good to see him introduced onto the pitch before the game. But even before that, at 6.45pm, Kirk, the team came out. And I've got to say, this was probably one of the more unpredictable team lineups that we had to predict. And um, how, how close were you? Yeah, I think I was 10 out of 11. Um, I thought Ibsen Rossi was going to come in and, and be given a chance, having such a good pre-season. But I was concerned about potentially Travers having Ibsen Rossi in front of him. So when Mepham was put instead, um, I wasn't too unhappy about it. We know what happened last season, but Chris Mepham does have a good game in him. He doesn't surprise me when he does play well. The problem for me with Chris Mepham is can he do it for 40 games, 42 games? And, and we know he probably can't. But um, he has got a good game in him. I was having confidence that we were going to do all right on the night new manager in place and uh, and Chris Meffin did turn up. 
Yeah, he did turn up. So, Neil, I mean, given everything that's been going on at the club in what feels like a very short space of time since Parker's appointment, I mean, yes, we've had the three friendlies, uh, two of them abroad. We then had that 5-0 win against MK Dons, a match from which I think it's very difficult to gauge anything. Was this game against West Brom ever one for you which would seriously give you an indication of where we're at? Yeah, I think it was it was uh, it was always going to be pivotal because I think he's he's introduced a couple of new things that we've not seen before um, a, a much a much more energetic way of playing um, two attacking midfielders as opposed to the two defensive midfielders. So these were these were all things that were going to be really key to see. I mean, I've been really impressed with him. The thing I think that's impressed me the most it reminds me a lot of Eddie mm. is he really could have a a bit of a whinge if he wanted to about the side that he had to he had to put out and he's not mentioned it once um all he's talked about is that they're fit they're ready he's excited by them if that was a Mark Hughes or a Tony Pulis they'd be saying I'm down to the bare bones I can't compete with the likes of West Brom and all that does is is bad leadership it gives the players an excuse to do badly or or they go out on the pitch thinking they're not quite good enough so I think you know he's played an absolute trump card because he wouldn't have wanted to field a side with three youth team debutants in it regardless of how they played. And he was probably close, like Kirk said, to having to play play four. So I just think, you know, fair play to him. He set his stall out. He hasn't uh, he hasn't had the best of luck. He's got an awful lot of talent injured. He hasn't whinged or moaned about it once. He's been full of praise for that team. And I think that's why they performed as well as they did. Hmm. And something that I didn't know until afterwards, Tom, was that Junior Stanislas pulled up in the warm-up. So you look at the bench and it, it's weaker than we first thought. Yeah, I saw that when I was um, in the queue to get in, actually, and uh, everyone was having kind of a bit of a laugh about it. I mean, it's a real shame for Junior, isn't it? But it's like, I had to be him. Uh, I'm not really sure the extent of it. But yeah, I think um, Glover wanted it to come on the bench for him. So mm. it ended up kind of no senior players, really, on the substitutes bench. But yeah, I agree with what Neil said. It was He hasn't moaned about it. And I think the, the system's interesting. I think it will be more interesting going forward. You know, for example, the two attacking midfielders, will he have that when Ben Pearson's back, Lewis Cook's back? Jefferson Lerma potentially is he is that his forced hand or does he like playing like that? It'd be interesting, wouldn't it? I mean, we know that Lerma's a defensive midfielder, but he can do that box to box stuff as well, and he's quite high energy. So that'd be really interesting as well when he gets the group back, what he goes with. But I don't think any of the lads let him down, put it that way. And um, like like Kirk said, I probably agree with the Meppen one. I kind of would have would have agreed, um, seen the point either way because Ibsen Rossi hadn't done anything wrong. But I think because we had so many youngsters there. Just any sort of bit of experience and leadership was needed, especially in the back back four, like Kirk said, with Travers and goal. But yeah, I was quite happy and I was excited, but not really expectant going into the game. They had a good side out. So yeah, it was um it was interesting. But Jack Stacey was the blow, wasn't it, really, as well? Yeah, that's right, Jack Stacey. And I think if he was picked as right back, we knew that our left back who who that was going to be. But of course it didn't happen. So Jay-Z started and he was a player that I think grew into the game, but we'll talk about each of the individual players. But firstly, Kirk, I know you would prefer to be Alan Hansen, but now I'm going to ask you to be Jeff Banks and comment on Scott Parker's attire. What What's your thoughts on managerial suits? Would you be a kind of training top kind of guy or or would you be doing the whole um, shirt, suit and tie look? Or would you be going cardigans? What would you do if you were a manager? Yeah, well, I'm a coach of a youth football team and I'm definitely a tracksuit man, but um, he's definitely smarter than me. And do you know what? He's, that's who he is and he, you know he takes it on the chin he, he's had the sort of cardigan banter hasn't he previously and you know he did say it when he joined Bournemouth he said look 
we've had these conversations before. I just want to knuckle down and get on with the football. He's not going to stop wearing cardigans and uh, he's smartly dressed. And um, it was a great entrance for him. My gut feeling when he signed for Bournemouth as the manager, I had a really good gut feeling, nothing else but gut feeling, unlike the other appointments. Um, and I'm liking already what I'm seeing. And yeah, are you liking what you're seeing in terms of clothes, Neil? Smart, eh? Yeah, I don't know what I'd wear. I think uh, I think it's quite nice not to wear a tracksuit. I think you kind of stand out a little bit. I've always, I always think Pep Guardiola looks great. Um, so I, I kind of, I think I probably would go for the V-neck jumper and chinos look. But Scott Parker takes it another level up, doesn't he? Superb. And you know, sometimes when we saw Eddie on the touchline, Tom, he would have a he would have an AFC Bomb T-shirt on, plus he'd have his AFC Bomb jacket. And you know, some camera shots you'd literally have two AFC Bomb with crests. It's like he bled uh, in red and black. But would you be a training top kind of guy wearing your club logo, club colours? I mean, you know, you got a tattoo already, right? Yeah, I'm not sure if I. I think I would probably go a little bit out there, but all Bournemouth, I'd go. Yeah, I'd go down the Eddie route, I think. I'd just go to the club shop and buy what I can and just chuck it all on. But um, <laughs> yeah. I think certain people do suit it, don't they? Scott Parker suits that look, definitely. I always think... Um, but yeah, I, I do like managers like that. I always think Mancini looked good as well, Italian manager. They, they always... Yeah. bit of style looks cool. But um, yeah, Parker, he, he wears it well, doesn't he? So he stick with that. It would be a little weird now if he went to a tracksuit, wouldn't it? It wouldn't look right. Yeah. So no. yeah, I'm happy with that. So do you remember you yeah. talk about Eddie uh, Eddie though? Do you remember the first game back late in Orient for him and Jason? They came looking like the Blues Brothers. <laughs> yeah, they did. They look so smart. They look they look really smart. And uh yeah, I thought I, I thought okay. I thought it looked, you know, very, very polished, you've got to say. And look, um it was a very interesting start to the game, Kirk, and there was an ebb and flow to the match, which I think was very nice for a neutral to watch. And as Bournemouth fans, it, it felt quite exciting. But, you know, just before the game started, what was your view on how it was going to go? Because, you know, West Brom, new manager, we know he likes to play with intensity. We see, we saw what he did with Barnsley, making all sorts of substitutions at halftime to keep it up against Scott Parker, high press. How did you think it was going to play out? And, you know, did it play out in the early stages as you thought? Yeah, this was going to be an interesting one. He was very much a gung-ho manager at Barnsley, almost had nothing to lose, had an erratic goalkeeper and wasn't bothered by it. I looked at the West Brom team again before the, the uh, sort of match commenced and I was really worried about how good they might be up top. They've got some real talent up there, Carlon Grant, Diagana. They've now got Mawat, who's pulling the strings. And with a potential youthful side out there, it, I was slightly concerned, but I was excited to be back with all the fans, with a fully almost seated stadium and felt that maybe the occasion, the, the lads could to grasp that and we could get a result and maybe just ambition and excitement. So um, before the game, I was concerned, but it's the championship. We saw it last season, didn't we? We were win a lot more matches than we did and anyone can beat anyone in this league. Yeah, they certainly can. Well, Dom Solanke in the early stages was making a few good runs off the last line of defence. And that was something that was very prevalent throughout most of the first half, I've got to say. But it wasn't long, Tom, before the AC Bournemouth fans were on their feet. And it was Jade Anthony with the ball, always looking for a forward pass. We saw that demonstrated with the first goal and the second one as well, actually. Played it through the billing and he, he sort of managed to nudge it on to Jade Anthony, who squared it. I think Dom Solanke did some very um, underrated shielding, by the way, there. And it just fell to Emmy on his left foot, ball in the back of the net. Happy days. 
happy days. And I think, like we alluded to earlier, Neil said it with the two attacking midfield players. We've got another player that's going to get you know them late runs into the box, which I think we've missed for quite a while now, where we've been playing them two deeper midfield players. So it was nice seeing pop up in that area. And he's done it. Uh, he's done it in the Chelsea game as well, didn't he? So he's he's a player that's going to get on the end of things, I think, with them runs. And like you say, Jane Nantley. Seen it a few times, kind of in the cup and things like that. He's very brave and he always looks, like you said, for the forward pass and trying to make something happen. So that was a big moment for him. But yeah, it kind of felt like it come out of the blue a little bit. It felt like they were probably slightly on top, controlling things, and then um, broke away and got the goal. So it was it was really nice to be that clinical. And like you say, looking back on it, Don played a key role in it as well. And he was he was working his socks off up there, as he always does. But um, oh, it was great to take the lead. I yeah, it, it felt like it come out of nowhere. It didn't feel like we looked like we were going to score, and then suddenly we had one. So, but yeah, it was a nice move, like you say, and it was just good having a midfielder that late run. I do, like, I do like that. And I think we missed that a little bit. Billings brought it back, and now Emmy looks that sort of player as well. So it was a yeah, real promising start. And Neil, I don't know about you, in terms of the way you celebrate a goal. I mean, last season we were all celebrating after watching AFCB TV. Uh, then in the Euros, we were celebrating goals and then thinking, oh, my goodness, is this going to get chalked off by VAR? So it's been a long time since a goal's been given. Quick glance at the lino, and there's that release of joy that were, you know, yeah. 10,000 people. It was a phenomenal feeling. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's why I love the Championship. So I love the Championship for a number of different reasons. I mean, the Premier League's great to be in, but the Championship, to me, is the most entertaining league. Like Kirk said, anyone can beat anyone. Uh, you haven't got a VAR, which to me is absolutely central to the enjoyment of football because you're right. I mean, you look at the linesman anyway when the run's made. So I knew Marcondes wasn't offside because he was stood behind the centre-back when he scored. So I knew he wasn't offside. So once you check that Anthony wasn't offside, um, referee could have given a foul, I think. So I think he did well to play on for because Billing got clattered, didn't he? And then Anthony went on and crossed it. But yeah, just, just the euphoria of seeing a whole stadium jump up. My my lad disappeared two stairs down in front of me. Um, it was just brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. It was. And what I wanted to see, Kirk, is Bournemouth go on and create more opportunities. And after that first goal, actually, we went forward with Solanke, but it just, it, it just didn't fall for us. But it looked like we could have created a second. But after that, it didn't happen. So, you know, playing a team like West Brom, we were always going to leave the door ajar. And it felt the, like they were starting to gain momentum as the half went on. Did you feel like that? I did. And then obviously the goal came, but um, it was going to be one of those games. I mean, we've, we've talked and heard enough about Parker Ball. I didn't personally see that from this fixture. And in the first half, there was an obvious tactic for me from Scott Parker to try and either go over the top or round the centre-backs. And Solanke was always on the last man, which was good to see. So it was very much doing that and trying to get Brooks in the game. Kilkenny's trying to make those those angle passes. Um, but once you then try and express yourself that that far up the pitch, you are naturally going to get caught on occasions, um, not necessarily how we conceded the goals. But, you know, they were always going to come into it. They have enough talent. They were always going to be dangerous. And look, let's speak about Kilkenny, Tom, because uh, we we sort of knew he always had a lot of talent, but we've never really seen it in a league match. And, you know, there are a number of sort of youngsters that we were wondering, like, are they going to be able to cut it? But Kilkenny was, in the first half, he was mustard, wasn't he? Yeah, he was brilliant. And, um, yeah, I think we've we've all got to be be careful of overhyping him a little bit. But at the end of the day... No, he was brilliant. He was the best player on the pitch. He was incredible. <laughs> 10 out of 10. But I do agree. And I love him. Absolutely love him. I, I love a player like that anyway, um, that, that's brave and just wants to get on the ball in, in tight areas and don't go hiding. 
you know, it's, it'll be easy for him to just just go hide in the garden. Not an option. He wanted it all the time in such mm. difficult positions, and you know, he some of the balls he was spraying were brilliant. But he was he was tenacious as well, and um, he allowed the likes of, of Billing and Emmy to to burst forward as well, and he he controlled it at times. And I think he got a player in there like Jake Livermore, real experienced pro in there as well, you know, and he was giving him giving him a run around at times. But yeah, he was. He was someone that I always felt like, how many more pre-seasons before we, we see him? And mm -hmm. yeah, maybe it's, it's his hands been forced with a few injuries in that position, but he's taken it at the moment. And I think even if you had a Ben Pearson or Lewis Cook or something back now, I don't think Gavin would lose his spot necessarily. Mm -hmm. I think he's um, very natural at that, kind of coming deep, pick up the ball and start attacks. And um, yeah, he, he was great. I was really enjoying seeing him play. And to be fair, all the youngsters were doing okay. Um, and I thought, I thought Lloyd Kelly was was really helping Jay-Z through them early parts as well. They were trying to target him a little bit. I thought Lloyd was was backing him up nicely as well. But um, yeah, obviously they were putting some pressure on, but I thought we were, we were holding our own. We were holding our own. We were. Uh, so football's a game where we always want our team to win, but in a perverse sort of way, I keep on referencing Alex Deutsch's tweets. You must be watching this thinking, this is where we get his content from. But he wrote a tweet that I thought was spot on. Like, even though he wants Ball to win, there's something actually quite nice about hearing the sound of away fans. And Neil, West Brom, they were they were really loud, weren't they? And, the, you know, great set of supporters. Um, you know, they seem to have a plethora of chants, much much more than we do at the moment. I think we probably only sang about three or, three or four songs, but that's because most of them were Eddie chants. Um, but nice to see away fans in stadiums. And, yeah, they were loud, weren't they? Yeah, they're they're always a good support. West Brom, they're always, they're always, they're always loud. Um, the uh, and they've developed their own version of Alea Alea Alea, which I think most uh, most clubs now have got their own version of it. And I think there's a Bournemouth fan trying to get one going. I saw on t on Twitter today for us, but yeah, right. it did make me laugh as well because their Brummy accent came out when they were singing about Super Bobby Taylor. Um, it was like Super Bobby Tyler when they were <laughs> when they were singing it. So. Um, no, they're they're a good good bunch of fans. I don't know. If, I, I didn't hear them do boing boing. I don't know if they were boinging. But they did. They, yeah, they, they yeah they did, they did after the first goal. We've you know we've just right. seen the reaction to it, and it it was that cheer that we all didn't want to hear, but in a weird way, it was a nice way to hear it. But yeah, they did. No, do it, was, that. it was they were they were a major part of the atmosphere of the game without a shadow of doubt. So they they played their part in the whole enjoyment of it. I was just going to make one point about Gavin Kilkenny actually, because um, I, I know Tom was talking about him. If ever um, there's a a manager for Gavin Kilkenny, um, it, it's Scott Parker because Scott Gavin Kilkenny is the closest player we've got to how Scott Parker used to play. Mm. So I would imagine he will be spending an awful lot of time coaching him, training him, helping him as well. So that I think that that'll do Gavin Kilkenny no end of good because he he, he was far more similar a player to Gavin Kilkenny than he ever was a Lerma or a Pearson or a or a Macondes. So. Yeah, he's he's said to be a very good man manager. I think in our sort of top ten video of the things that he'll bring AC Bournemouth, I thought maybe fifteen. I can't remember what we did. That was one of his attributes that he's been very highly rated at. Um, but he from the bench couldn't do much about the equaliser, and um, I think it was Townsend on the left flank. I think putting a throw, it's partially cleared, and then it came back to him, and he and he hung up a cross and Kirk it. Sort of looked like Travers was coming for it, but didn't. And then it was uh, Daro Shea at the far post who nodded in. And some fans thinking that Travers could have done better. It was a fairly decent header, relatively powerful downward. But thoughts on the goal, mate? 
I think it was always going to be the weakness when the lineups come out. Uh, I've sort of changed my stance recently on Mark Travers, and I think he doesn't command the box as well as our previous goalkeeper and keepers before that in, in Boric, etc. Um, I think he needs a loan out. He needs to get experience like Tom and probably Neil's mentioned before and other people on this, this channel. Um, and when that ball come in, you want your keeper to come and grab it. You know, and, and then when he doesn't come and grab it and then you've got Jordan Samora playing left back. And if there is a weakness in his game, it's probably defending in his in his career. He's so young um, and he really got out jumped. Um, it, it's interesting, actually, because if Smith was probably playing left back and I'm not a fan of playing Smith, he would have used his body a lot better than Jordan Samora did. And Smith probably would have realised he had got out jumped. He had found a way to try and make that header a lot harder. And I think Samura yeah. didn't make that header a lot harder. It was quite an easy header to score. And then obviously it is kind of point blank. It's not it's not a shot from, from a foot. It is a header, but it's still point blank. I'm not going to put it all at Travers. I just don't think he's a good enough goalkeeper for what we need right now if we're looking at, at, at playoffs and top of the top, yeah. you know, top half of the league. So that's my concern. And you know, they came into the game. I wasn't surprised when they scored because I thought it was going to be one of those matches. I didn't see us keep keeping the clean sheet. Mm, Tom, you were close to, I mean, you were right behind the goal, so you can see exactly what went on. What were your thoughts on it? Yeah, pretty similar, to be fair. It's, it's one of them where you don't want to say it's an actual goalkeeping error, but the ball's come in and he's made a few steps, like he's, he's come in. And just go and throw a punch at it, just do something. You've, you've made the, you would say, you've made that movement now. You know, just just come and do what you can, get cleaned out, do do what you can, and, it, and then he hesitated. And like Kirk said, I, I, the problem is, I think he's a goalkeeper, like Kirk said, that needs a season out on loan, kind of in the in the lower lower two leagues. But he can't get that because if we get a goalkeeper, he'll just be the number two again, and he'll just mm. be sat on the bench, not really improving. I think that's the problem. I'd I'd almost rather get a goalkeeper in, make keep Dennis as two, and go and let Travers go and play because he yeah. needs to go and play football, and it's it's not his fault. We've been kind of too worried to send him out on loan, which I understand. And as soon as Woodgate come in, he recalled him, didn't he, from his loan? Because he thought, you know, if I get an injury. So I get that. But it's probably harming Travers because he needs to go and play football. And he's he's clearly a goalkeeper with a lot of potential. But I think, um, yeah, com he's not a commanding goalkeeper. He wouldn't fill your defence with a lot of confidence with, with balls in the box. And I felt that they probably tried to use that more as the game was going on because they saw that. And I don't think West Brom are going to be one of the top teams are just chucking balls in the box. I've seen a bit where like Borough and teams like that, they're going to launch balls in the box a lot and we're going to come under more pressure. And mm. that does concern me a little bit. But yeah, it wasn't a glaring error. It was just, it was one of them. And the lad got up, like you say, above above Jay-Z as well, quite comfortably. But um, yeah, it probably was fair to be level at that point in the game anyway, to, to be honest. And uh, yeah, it was just how we could pick ourselves up after that. Unfortunately, we did. Yeah, we did too. And um, one of the other sort of key things that we're seeming to do this season and it's um, a trait of Scott Parker football is playing out from the back, you know, and these little short passes. I think we're a bit more accomplished than MK Dons. <laughs> However, um, it's a thing that uh, someone just talked on the chat about his distribution. I thought his distribution was actually okay in the match against West Brom, but does that style of football worry you, Neil? Because it's all about trying to attract the press and then playing between the lines you know, behind that press. But did it work? You know, is it for you this kind of style? I think it's. I think if you're over forty, you struggle with it. 
I think that that's part of the problem. But um, and certainly the crowd need a lot of educating in it because everyone around me was just screaming at them every time they did it. Why are you doing it? Get it up! Get it up! Um, I totally see why you do it because when it when it works well and you drag everyone onto you and you play that one through ball to Billing and he flicks it on the t- whole team go and they're stuck up the they're stuck up the pitch they can't get back. So I totally see why why you do it. I just think we've got players with an error in them. Um, so if we had our, you know, Ake and, and those sort of people, I think do it all day long. I know Nathan Ake, <laughs> yeah. probably a bad example to pick up yesterday. But, yeah. but in the in the main, if you've got players that are really comfortable, I just think when you've got Zamura, who's, I think, got potential, but he's young. If you had Ibsen Rossi playing, you'd be nervous about him doing it. Um, Mepham, we all know, has got a, a slight error in him. Um, Steve Cook even is, is you know, will often make a, a, a little fluff. So... I think it's the right thing to do. Um, I'd question doing it all the time with the players we've got at our disposal, unless we bring you know other players in. But that's we're, going be, we're going to be doing it. We're going to be doing it. Yeah, and I was going to say, I think that's another reason why I was so impressed with Kilkenny, because he took responsibility on a lot of the time and came back and went, go on, I'll have it. Yeah, I've got someone right on me here, but I, you know, trust me. And I thought that yeah. was yeah. that was big from him. You know, and I thought Lloyd Kelly took responsibility on a lot as well, which was nice to see. He obviously was the skipper as well for the night. And I think it was probably even more tempting because when we did go long, and you kind of quite often you kind of try and go into the corners, you know, from uh, Mark Travers' point of view, Jane and Anthony and David Brooks were never winning the header. They were never gonna no, win a no. header. So it was coming straight back anyway. Um yeah. I always remember Eddie used to obviously we try and play from the back, but we'd often have like Frano at right back. So we'd have the option to just spray it that way because he, he would often win the flick on. We didn't have them options either. Um, you know, maybe if Lloyd Kelly was playing at left back, he could have pushed up a bit and we could have gone to his head. But we didn't have them options either. So I did get it. And I, to be fair, I felt we, we even though it is hot, tough to watch sometimes, I felt we'd done it all right on the night. Um, yeah, we did. We did do it all right on the night. And you've got to keep persisting with it, I think. Um, so, yeah, and I think we will. But, um, yeah, we, we got away with it. Like you say, it's just hard to watch sometimes. You know, Lloyd Kelly, I thought, um, and Chris Meppham worked all right. You've got, you know, Lloyd Kelly, who's quite composed on the ball, I think. And then you've got Chris Meppham, very no-nonsense. Loved the way he took <laughs> took out that winger when he was um, striding down the left flank and he, he earned a yellow card for that. But he wasn't the only person to have been taken out. Uh, Scott Parker took a tumble, Kurt. I completely missed it. Did you see what happened? I didn't get it on camera. I was really disappointed in my oh, thought I didn't get it on camera. Uh, did did see it. Um, he looked like he hurt his elbow for about 10 minutes afterwards. He was just holding his hel- elbow constantly. So yeah. I don't know if he's had the videos check it out at half time. Um, but yeah, he did. It was one of those point blank on the sideline situations. Um, yeah. Was it Mepham in the end that took out, that took the man out that then in- mm. incidentally ended up taking out Parker? Yeah. So, uh, yeah. I mean, what I would just then. add... What I just add to what Neil's just said, just talking about the back two there and playing out from the back, is that it is in the game now. We need to accept it. it every manager tries to do it, um, no matter what club they move to. But I think the frustrating thing when you try and play out from the back is when the goalkeeper goes to Mepham, goes to Travers, and he just kicks it up the pitch, when he yeah. clearly could have done that from his six-yard box. The whole point of playing out is you creating angles, people moving in different directions, and you move up the pitch in three or four passes. Uh, and that's when it needs to happen. And that's when you need to get Kilkenny into the second or third pass. And then you get it on to Brooks and, and, and you move up as a team. And the best team to watch doing that is Man City. That, that's what they do. They create angles and they take opposition players out of the game. Um, it's just the one when it goes to the right back or the centre back and comes back to the keeper and then goes up. I, I never understand that one. So, yeah. Mm. 
No, that's right. So West Brom, they, they had a shot as well. Travis Good say this is on about 37, 38 minutes with um, Robinson who, who who turned and shot and Travis uh, palmed it wide. But there was a goal that they did score, Tom, that got disallowed. And obviously we were all delighted that it did. But replay suggests that there was no reason that it should have been disallowed. Well, I'm right behind it. And there is no, I don't know why they've given a foul there. Um They've been quite clever. They've chucked the ball in and, you know, they've seen what happened with the first goal, like we spoke about, and Travis just ain't strong enough. He, that, that was probably the most evident part of it. Unfortunately, we got away with it. If that had counted like it like it probably should have, then I would re- Travis would be, would be really going for a goalkeeper now. He would have really been getting some sticks. So I'm glad it didn't, obviously. But yeah, I couldn't see anything wrong with it. Um, and it does make you think, if I, if I was a goalkeeper, I'd just fall over all the time. Yeah, they do get a lot of protection because there's no way that's a foul. Um, so yeah, they, they, we we got got away with that one. We definitely did. But um, yeah, glad he did. But yeah, we, we definitely got away with it. I, like I say, I'm right behind it. I thought this. I didn't need to see a replay. I thought there's no way that's a foul. No way. It's interesting. I was watching the uh, the uh, before the uh, England Euro final. Maybe it's the semi final. Channel Four decided to screen the World Cup final of 1996. Uh, sorry, 1966 in full color. And speaking of the goalkeepers thing, I mean, it's almost like you'd have to chainsaw off one of their arms for the referee to actually, you know, blow because they seem to just, um, you know, not be. So, uh, I mean, I mean, now they, they, yeah, they will blow up all the time, won't they, Neil? Whereas previously, you know, back in the day, you know, back in the good old days, um, there were a lot worse challenges that went unpunished. Oh, God, yeah. I mean... Even you know, even in the in the noughts, you know, players like Steve Fletcher would get you know get right in on a goalkeeper, and it'd be a bit of shoulder to shoulder. Um, I don't think Travers is. I mean, we, I don't want to. We, we, we're danger of lynching the poor poor bloke. He's got a lot of potential. I don't think he's the most physical of goalkeepers. So sometimes you get young goalkeepers that aren't the greatest, but they've got a lot of physical strength. I mean, he he catapulted backwards, didn't he, off off that guy for that one? So uh, I don't I don't think that helps. But yeah, no. It's gone out. It's probably the right thing that it's gone out of the game. Um, the you know, goalkeepers getting taken out when in the air it used to happen all the time, didn't it? In the lower leagues, it's, it, you know, it's not great if they land awkwardly, but at the same time, they are totally overprotected. It's all fouls that if they happened elsewhere on the pitch, wouldn't be called. Hmm. Yeah. So we went in then one all, and uh, then the second half started and pretty much started how the first half started. Really, I think you know, cherries were in the ascendancy, and you know. We've been talking about the youth. We'll concentrate on uh, which players did well for AFC Bournemouth a bit later on in the show. However, Jaden Anthony on the left-hand flank played almost a sort of no-look pass to the overlapping Jordan Zamora, who who just you know, pelted it into the box. I think he just you know, hit it into the danger zone. Weren't I don't think he was really targeting anyone, but it was parried by the keeper. Phil Bill was on the end of it, Kirk. Nice to see you. And when Phil Bill scores, we don't lose football matches. That stat still stands from last mm. season. Um, and that's where I think Jaden Anthony and Jordan Samora are going to come into their own. I actually thought in the first half, apart from the Anthony assist, it was it was quite a, a worrying left-hand side. And there was times where Samura is swiping his leg at the ball and not quite catching it. But in the second half, I really think both of them grew into the game. And when we got that ball over to the left-hand side, Anthony in space... He deceived the right back. He played that no-look sort of pass. Samura got onto it. And as I said, he sort of just crossed it, put it into the danger zone. Goalkeeper parried it. And, and Bill was there. And 
Bill Billing is going to become a really big player for us. He did sort of become a big player for us in the second half of last season. And I really think that Scott Parker's using him as a, as a pivotal player in what he's going to try and achieve this season. And the more goals he gets and the more he's an omen, it will start pushing Norwich City away because there's no way we can let mm. Billing go for 10 million quid. Um, he's mm. he's really he's bought into the well, we bought into Billing now and he's become a little bit of a fan favourite. He's still got a really good contract. And um, I love what I still see with Billing. And I never thought I'd be saying these type of words two years ago. No, no, absolutely. Neil, go on then, talk us through it. In the meantime, for people at home, will be some vlog footage. You can click and watch that video. The card will be at the top of the screen. Uh, but well, there is a horrible reaction from me and my nephew, Ben. But anyway, talk us through it. The goal? Yeah. Do yeah. We What we cannot, cannot underestimate is how good a pass that was by Jaden Anthony. That is a That is the hardest pass to pull off, the pass that he pulled off. And it took such a lot of bravery... Um, a, to spot it and B, to think I'm going to do that because those passes can just run out for a goal kick or they can be too hard. Just, you know, he, he cannot give him enough credit for spotting that pass and executing it. It was a moment of real brilliance. Um, and, you know, we, we, we need to celebrate it from the rooftops because I agree with Kirk. He wasn't man of the match. He, he, I know he got it, but he wasn't, he wasn't the best player on the pitch. And in the first half, I was sat in front of him and Zamura, and positionally, they were all over the place at times. But that aside, they grew into the game, they kept persevering, they never stopped looking for the ball, and then they created that moment. So I just think you've got to take your hats off to them. Yeah, yeah, there were a number of... Um, what I liked sort of, about it as well, Sam, I was just going to say, what I liked about, you know, because Jane Nantley, obviously, the pass was amazing. But Zamora, I remember just shouting, just put it in. Too many times, people kind of wait and say, oh, should I get it? You don't, don't matter who's there, put yeah. it in the area. And that's what he did, and that can happen. You can take a deflection, the keeper can parry it like he did. But I, I do like that when they just put it in the area. And I thought he'd done that really well. It would have been easy for him to try and, you know, shift it back and, you know, be a little bit too cute with it. He just put it in the right area. And, um, yeah, I agree with what, what both the boys said. I was, I think I tweeted a half-time thing. I was a bit bit wary of that side, but they grew into the game. Maybe they needed a little bit, you know, the, the occasion was big for them both. But mm -hmm. we, what we saw in the second half was that's the left-hand side that played together in the academy for a long time. And it was a really nice link up. And I probably would have said at half time, next goal, what, how would you want it to come? I'd say, oh, I'd love it to be a bit of Jay-Z and Anthony link up. That'd be great for him. So that was a great moment, definitely. Again, like the uh, first goal when Bournemouth scored, I, I felt as though we didn't quite push on though. And that's what I wanted us to do because I, I knew the door was always going to be open and it proved to be the case. But in terms of man of the match, I've got to just you know, skip forward to this because, you know, I think the sponsors said one name, the fans said another and Sky TV said another. So, you know, we'll, we will talk about the three and at the end we will decide the definitive man of the match. But um, what we'll do is, you know, we'll push on to the equaliser Kirk and, it was always coming, wasn't it? Always. It, well, it felt like it to me anyway. Yeah. And when you've got youth in there and you haven't got enough experience, sometimes you are going to concede goals like we did. I thought we just gave the ball away. It sort of pinged around. I actually didn't really see this properly because I was trying to sort my camera out. And I oh. did actually ask someone next to me and said, who gave the ball away? And they said, I think Kilkenny did. But I think it was sort of a culmination of a situation where it bounced around a bit. Um, to be fair, did Phillips get on the ball and then he opened up a really good pass and then when it was squared and, and first time Robinson, I mean, to be fair, it was a very good goal that they took. It was just on another day when you're 2-1 up, maybe that ball just goes down the line towards the corner flag and you just get up the pitch. 
Um, but um, as I said, I didn't get a really good view of it. And again, on the highlights, maybe one of the boys can come in there. But um, it felt like we just didn't get control of the ball right in our half, just inside halfway. I, I was sat right next to it. It was a throw in and it was Smith and Brooks that um, played two suicide passes to each other that they, sh they that they shouldn't have played and got and got robbed as i remember it well there you go mark singleton yeah. uh, confirms on the camera that that is the case so yeah um it was smith and brooks two sloppy passes shouldn't have been given it to each other in that space got robbed and the way you went shame because i think we would have we would have held on i reckon had we uh, had we just gone a little bit longer into the game so Mm. Yeah, I thought we were coping with it quite well, actually. I thought they, mm. our response to, you know, going ahead, I thought wasn't too bad. I thought they're not, you know, they're having a bit of the ball here, but they're not causing too many problems. Um, I felt it was more probably, maybe even after they equalised, that I was more concerned about, let's don't lose this now. I thought we were doing okay. It was a real shame. Like I said, it was a, a bit of a pinball moment, a few bad passes. It was one of them things, but they, top teams, they're going to be one of the top six, in my opinion, and they're going to take them chances. It was a really good finish, wasn't it? Yeah. Mm, absolutely was. However, we responded almost straight away, Kurt, with what, well, uh, like it was exhilarating to watch because it was like, you know, Solanke just had so much aggression on that left flank and he managed to win the ball back, beat his marker, beat another marker again. And the ball ended up at Philip Billing, who was on that left side. He then hung up a cross of the far post. And when you saw David Brooks steaming in, I thought this could be a hell of a goal. Wasn't to be, but my God, that was that was um, that was exhilarating, wasn't it? Me and Tom were right behind that in the north stand, and do you know what? As it was lofted up, and you could see it was going to go over the fullback's head, I was like, "Don't take a touch, Brooks," because you know yeah, sometimes yeah. they just want to take a touch to try and bring it down and hit it, and he hit it first time. Problem was, it was just too close to the goalkeeper. Just mm. needed to probably be a foot. To more to the side and I think it would have would have nestled in the corner but he hit it well he kept it low and that's all you can really ask make the keeper work um, and it would have been a great finish because Brooks I think is going to be a big player for us this season it, it's got to be a good season for Brooks it's his time now you know we can't again we can't keep going on about some players saying they will turn up they will arrive they will come good this is this has got to be Brooks' season he's he's had a very good pre-season I think he looks fit it doesn't look like he's worrying himself about his ankle. He's trying to take on players. He's trying to work through, back, you know, the defence. Um, and it was a great chance. And unfortunately for Brooks, it didn't go in. But I I'm liking Brooks, uh, and it was a good chance. Mm. He seems to sort of you know drift in and out of games, Brooks. But he's more in than out these days, unlike last season where he was more out than in. Um, and then from our good chance, there was another chance for. West Brom, um, and almost a third for them. I think it was Carlin Grant who worked some space inside the box and he, and he drove an effort towards Travis's top left-hand corner, but um, it flew wide. And then Philip Billing had a shot, which was blocked. And you know what? Um, Livermore had a shot. It was like it was end-to-end, -end, but, you know, great for the neutral. And, you know, in terms of the full-time result to all, uh, probably fair, Tom. Yeah, I'd say so. I think a draw was probably fair on flexion. I think we, you know, kind of the general stats, I think we edged possession, they edged shots, but it was, it felt like yeah. a draw was a fair result. We led twice, so it's always a little bit disappointing leading twice and at home you think, oh, could have hung on. But I think they, they would have been, yeah, felt very hard done by to have lost the game. I think they've done enough to get a point. So, and I think it was one of them where because they were behind twice and because they probably did edge the game of the, you know, we were down to the bare bones, so to speak. I think both fans left kind of relatively okay with it, you know, relatively happy, I think. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was 
quite a decent one. I would have probably taken it before the game when I've seen the lineups. Um, just a shame that we that we had the lead and we didn't really have even Stanislas, who obviously pulled out in a warm up, would have been an option, wouldn't he, for his experience? Yeah. I felt that even people like Kilkenny, who was superb, like we said, just kind of the last 20 minutes, he just started, you know, which is going to happen. You know, these youngsters had even, you know, had even played, you know, started a game and now they're getting 90 minutes. Um, yeah. I was very surprised that Brooks was the man coming off as well. Um, mm. Shows what trust he has in them. There was, I wonder if there would have been a temptation. It maybe would have drawn it on a little bit, but I thought, could he maybe at 2-1 bring on a Rossi and go to like a three and just, just watch them balls into the box? But they scored quite quickly, didn't they? It was There was still a lot of time to go. And I think that would have probably invited a bit too much pressure on. So, yeah, I, even though you want fresh legs, I looked at the subs and I couldn't really argue with the fact that he only made the one. And I think it was a fair result all round. I don't think too many West Brom fans, apart from the disallowed goal, would disagree. I think it was probably a fair result. Yeah. You only really had Carl Taylor that had any form of league experience, and that was with Forest Green Rovers. So, it, you know, it wasn't hugely notable um, experience. So I think, you know, like like Tom said, we weren't, we weren't going to see any substitutes. Interesting stat as well for uh, Stato nerds out there that all of our shots were on target. Amazing. So it's not often you see that. Yeah. We didn't have a shot off target in the game. Oh, that's we only yeah. have four shots. We only have four shots, but they were all on target. So you got Solanke's good save, Brooks yeah. good save, two goals, no no shots off target, according to my paper anyway. Yeah, well that's that's promising to see. And yeah, look, I mean we did make a substitution with uh, Christian Sadie coming on, but that was very late on. And I did always wonder about the Stanislas thing until someone told me um, in, in midway through the second half that um, he pulled up in the warm up, and I thought Stanislas injured in the warm up. It's, it's like we've never been away. It was brilliant. <laughs> but <laughs> but you know what, though? Um, yeah, two all fair result. And then, look, Mike Botto's on the mic and he's announcing the man of the match and everyone's like, oh, yeah, cool, Kenny. You know, you're not sure who it is. It went to Lloyd Kelly Kirk. Um, but then I think Sky went for Jaden Anthony, yet AFC Bournemouth fans on the Twitter poll have gone for Gavin Kilkenny. So... Probably right that it's between those three, but where does your heart lie? Do you know what? Before you said that, I was thinking Kelly. I thought he looked mm. very mature on the night. It's, you know, standing captain for the moment. And um, I thought he did nothing wrong. Look, we know when Lloyd Kelly's in possession, it can sometimes be a little bit in slow-mo. Um, but I think naturally he probably is a, as a centre-back, even though he was better as a left-back last season. But he done very well on the night. You know, he, he played alongside Mepham. Mepham had a good Euros off, off the back of what happened. Um, and then he had that calmness alongside Samura and Kilkenny in front of him as well. So I was impressed with Kelly and his leadership. Uh, sorry, I was impressed with Kelly and his leadership. And then Kilkenny, I think Kilkenny had a very, very good game. He, I think that he got man-matched and he against MK Dons as well. We know what he can do on the ball. The only question mark I have over Kilkenny is potentially his strength at the moment off the ball. And, and I think he got out-muscled a few times. And um, and then Anthony, you know, those types of man the matches are are going to come along because he got an assist and he set up almost the second assist. So um, you know, they always if you score a goal, even if you're on for ten minutes, you can you're in with a chance getting man the match. Hmm. Yeah, uh, completely agree. I mean, there was this there was this moment with Kilkenny in the first half where there were a number of players around him and he flicked the ball up over his head and he controlled it and he laid it off to the side, Neil, and it was just like, this is golden, isn't it? For, you know, for a lad that hasn't had any proper league experience, to be doing that yeah. on his new debut in front of the world's eyes, unbelievable. The bit, I mean, the biggest compliment you could pay him was that he looked like he played 50 or 60 league games. Mm. 
He didn't. That is, you know, that is not a midfield debut performance where, you know, normally if you make your debut in midfield, particularly live on television, you do all the simple things. You just do simple things, simple things and play your way into the game. But he was spraying passes and, like you say, flicking it over the head early on in the first half. So, you know, that says a huge amount about his character and augurs really well for the future. My man of the match wasn't any of those three, which was which was, which was really weird. So, because I think Anthony, he got it for two interventions. He wasn't man of the match, um, although they were great interventions. Kilkenny faded. Um, Kelly was all right, but we conceded twice and lost the ball. He lost the ball a couple of times. I thought Marcondes was outstanding. I think he's a brilliant, brilliant footballer. Uh, I watched him really closely. He, he, he receives the ball so well. He's a model to any child watching. If you want to want to learn how to how to receive the ball, how to drop shoulders, how to move, I thought he was outstanding. So he would have been my man of the match. But there you go. Hmm. Yeah. No. I'm I'm probably with you for that. And you, you know what? It's quite nice that we're having these conversations. Yeah, and at, good, you know, I mean, like, it's a good, it, it's a good thing to have. And you know what? Also, that pleased me afterwards is Tom. Nice to see players scoring goals and looking excited and happy when they score, instead of this kind of, you know, nonchalant like, okay, I've scored a goal. Come on, let's get back at it. Like, I don't know. I, I hated, I hated seeing that. And you can, you know, you can tell why. But the joy on Emmy's face, on Phil Bill's face, lovely to see, wasn't it? Yeah, nice. And I think a big part of that is, you know, just try and give them a bit of credit from last season and stuff, is the fact that there's a full full set of fans in there. It must be difficult to go mad when you think there's no one here. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that was really nice to see. Probably agree with everyone, so to speak, in terms of, you know, the kind of man of the matches and that. I was surprised at Anthony, but I can see why now. I did like Mark Condes as well. I was, I was really annoyed when Neil just said that, but I was going to say Mark Condes, not his shout. <laughs> I, I really like, I think when you get a new player as well, you have a little look at him. A, a few times I thought, I wonder if he could come almost help Gav out and maybe drop a little bit deeper. I understand he's obviously being told to, to get higher up the pitch, but he's so comfortable receiving the ball that I kind of thought maybe you could drop a little bit deeper alongside Kilkenny and try and start their moves when we were when we were struggling a little bit at the back. But And yeah, Lloyd Kelly, I always find it very difficult to give a man of the match to someone in a defensive conceded till. I'm not sure about that. But I did I did appreciate his leadership at the back. I thought he really helped uh, Zamora on that left side grow into the game as well. And I think he... Yeah, it was a captain's performance from him. I, I was pleased with Lloyd. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure I'd give it to. I mean, maybe Lerma. I didn't get booked, did he? So can, can I give the Lerma? <laughs> yeah. um, also a shout for, I always make a shout for him, but Dom Solanke worked his bollocks off as he always does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And speaking of Jeff Lerma, there's an interview that's come out on AFCB's uh, website that sort of indicates, could he be staying, Tom? Could he? He's going nowhere. Um, I don't know. I, I, I always said, I think with this band, he's still got another, what, four games, four competitive games. Mm. The window will still be open after that. And I wonder if kind of maybe, uh, I know Villarreal, a few clubs in Europe, and maybe just waiting, you know, when, when he served his ban, they, they might come in kind of late, kind of deadline day maybe, and try and tempt him. Mm. Um, you know, we've, we've got options in that area, to be fair. Ben Pearson ain't far away. And we've got yeah. um, Lewis Cook, obviously, a bit longer term, but we've got him to come back. And we looked all right anyway. It, it all depends on Scott Parker, doesn't it? Um, and what he thinks, yeah. really. I I don't think he can. I don't think he, we should keep him. I know this is going to be really really controversial. So if you think, I mean, be interested to hear Kirk's views on this because I know he's a, he's a he's a ta- he's a tactical he's a tactical guy. So if you think about it logically, we're trying wow. to build a squad. We're trying to build a squad. I love Jeff Lerma, but we're trying to build a squad. So hear me out before you. Oh, you okay. He's only going to play one sitting midfielder. I think that's his style. That's what he's always done. 
So in that position, he's got a choice of Pearson, Lewis Cook, Kilkenny, and one other who uh, and uh, and Lerma. So he's got he's got four people that can play that position, and he's only going to play one. So who who's he got that he can get money for? He won't get any money for Lewis Cook. He won't get any money for Kilkenny. Pearson's only just joined us for 300000 If he wants to raise funds to get a striker and a winger. He's got four players that can play one position. If you were going to look at it sensibly, if he can get 15, 20 million for Jefferson Lerma, you'd cash in on that and you'd use those three and then you'd spread that around the team. Otherwise, we, he's going to have Lerma in the side. Pearson will be sat on the bench. Lewis Cook will be sat on the bench. They won't They won't get in that team because Billing and Marcondes will play in front of them. And Lerma's probably the highest wages as well out of them. And Lerma's the highest wages. So much as I love him, I would have Pearson and Lewis Cook and Kilkenny playing that pivotal role. I'd cash in on him and buy a striker and a winger. Kirk, thoughts on that? I just don't agree with it because it then Lerma has to go. And, it was and annoying because he made a good point as well, didn't he? Um, he has made a really, really good point. As I was listening to Neil there, I was thinking, I actually don't have an argument for what he's saying. <laughs> But I don't want Lerma to leave because he's just Neither do I. he's an absolute legend. Mm. But, but, but I think that's the problem we've got actually. It was funny when we were watching Kilkenny in, in pre-season, is he is another Lewis Cook, he's also another Ben Pearson without that actual strength and bite yet. More work to be done in the gym for Kilkenny, but he is that sort of holding CDM, isn't he? Just so we've got four of them, like like Neil says. Um, and we do want Philip Philip Billing playing higher up. And Marcondes is going to be someone, a busybody. I think he can end up playing everywhere if we need him to. If, if Brooks is injured, Mark Ondes can play there. You know, if Anthony's out, Mark Ondes can play there and Mark Ondes could probably play Kilkenny's position as well. Um, mm. It's a very, very good point. Um, I hadn't really thought about it until Neil just said. And trying to keep four players happy with some of those wages yeah. will be very, very difficult. Um, but it's actually, it's weird, isn't it? Because we actually thought this season that we're going to be a bit light, especially when contracts weren't renewed. And, and players are suddenly starting to leave. But that is an area we're, we're well equipped in. So, um, And you do need a squad over 46 games. I wonder mm. if um, it, a lot of it will maybe depend on Lewis Cook as well. We don't, we're not 100% sure. You know, we know it's long-term. But, you know, even when he's back, how long would it take him to get up to speed? You know, mm. what is... Because I think he's probably the most natural in the, in the role, actually, you know, picking the ball up from deep like Gavin Kilkenny was. I wonder if, mm. if Jeff were to, to stay... If he would potentially be an option further up, you know, because of his because of his energy levels, I know he's not as he's he's not the same sort of player as Mark Ondes or Billing. Of course, he's not. But I wonder if Scott Parker will like the fact that he could press quite high. Mm. Um, further back, that's where I would see him. He's played right back for Columbia, um, and I think if you were really going to keep him and utilize him, I can see him like Ian Cox did for us and moving to being a brilliant centre half. Take it. I'll take that. If it, mm. if it keeps him, I'll put him in goal. I don't care. The, the problem is with Lerma is JT tried that one and it worked at the start of last season, didn't it? I mean, did he score a goal at Coventry and made an assist and, yeah, and did, yeah. a few, did a few good things? But it almost like he almost got bored of it because it's not natural to him and it's not where he wants to be. He wants to be in the heart of where that ball is and he wants to be getting stuck into tackles and turning over balls and, and things like that. And and you just don't get the opportunity to do that when you're 75 yards up the pitch. So he'll probably do it if he was asked to do a job, because you've got to remember that there will be times and formations where Scott Parker will set us up to play with two holding midfielders in certain games. I'm sure it's going to happen. We might even have two strikers up top in certain games if we have enough strikers to obviously put out there. Um, but 
yeah, I think we'll generally overall, when he's got everyone available and, and an average game against someone in the championship, he probably will go with the one holding midfielder. And I'd be happy to see Lerma play centre-back. But then again, I'd want to see Steve Cook and Kelly back there as well. So... Yeah, so I mean, a number of our players had had very good performances, especially the youth. And look, let's let's briefly talk about whilst we've got um, a few West Brom fans watching, a few of them in chat, including Adam just now, whose comment we put on screen. Very nice message from him. Um, you know, we should also read into the quality of the opposition as well, Neil. And you know, West Brom—they're a physical side. Um, they're going to be decent this season, and. Yeah, uh, you know how many how many teams will we play that are possibly better than them? I would say not many. Um, no. But what did you think of them? I thought they were I thought they were very very well equipped for the championship. So the problem a lot of teams have when they come down for the Premier League is they morph over time into having um, really good footballers who, when they get stuck at Rotherham or uh, Stoke on the proverbial wet Tuesday night, they don't like it. Like we saw sometimes last year with Rico. Uh, and players like that. So I think West Brom never morphed into that Premier League side because they weren't there long enough. And then they appointed Sam Allardyce, who made signings that were always going to be signings that were good for the championship because that's what Sam Allardyce does. They then appointed a manager who is an archetypal championship manager in terms of you either get out of the championship one or two ways. You either play brilliant football like we did or you fight your way out of it. Uh, you can't do that in the Premier League. You have to play brilliant football to do well, I think. So... Ishmael, you know, is well equipped for a squad that Sam Allardyce um, kind of half put together. Um, so I think they will. I'd be really surprised if they're not in the top two or three this year, West Brom. Yeah, I agree. I think I tipped them, didn't I, Sam, to, to win the league? And I haven't changed my mind, put it that way. Because um, I think I think it was really good for us to play them opening day because I think they've got a manager there who they will, you know, start learning the system, the philosophy, and things like that, and they'll just get better and better, which hopefully we will as well. But I think it was probably better to get them out of the way in terms of one of the games anyway, yeah. because they'll grow into that. And I think what I like about him is is almost what Neil was saying, is that blend of kind of those really exciting, good footballers. They've also got a good bit of experience, the physical presence, like you say. I think they kind of tick every box in a lot yeah. of areas. So um, I think they've got, got a few players that can put the ball in there as well. So I think they're going to be a real force. And I haven't changed my mind on that after just that one game. I think that I would be very surprised if they weren't in the top two. But we all know what the championship's like, so it's not going to be a walk for them. But I think they're probably the best acquitted squad I've I've seen on paper. So I'm really pleased to get out there, have a point and play well, to be honest. Yeah, very much so. So, boys, have a think of where you think we need to strengthen. And we'll come back to you shortly after getting um, a view from Chris Edwards. So (laughs) after every game, we're outside the stadium uh, on home games outside the 1910 bar with a literal free-for-all and I watched back the video that we recorded and cringed because you know there were some people I was speaking to and they didn't even say goodbye they just went and then new people came in it's we're doing it just to make it easier rather than doing separate fan chats and look there's I don't know it's just a bit more exciting when people can just you know bundle in every now and then and Tom made a cameo performance and people were calling you legend you didn't even know who they were but you know now your best buddy's Tom so that's nice to see but also we're inviting um people on camera as well um on our youtube channel that want to submit your video so hold your phone landscape and film and then you can submit it via uh, the telegram app our details are below or you can submit it um, on facebook messenger or pop us an email to fans at afcbpodcast.com we transfer you know whatever we'll we'll take it and uh, chris edwards has made his debut this week he's been on the pod before but this was his view after the game first 
It was great to see and hear supporters back in the stands. That's been dearly missed. Second, what an entertaining match. Uh, friends who don't support either club were commenting to me about how much fun it was to watch two teams just go up and down the pitch with pace and not play from a defensive nine set. Now, while you never like to see Bournemouth give up two leads, a draw, I think, was a good result, all things considered. Uh, we had a thin roster, but the academy grads put in such an energetic effort against a physical team uh, that pressed us for 90 minutes. And West Brom, they should be one of the best teams in the championship, and we stood toe-to-toe -to -toe with them with a depleted lineup. You got to feel good about that. Uh, lastly, thanks, Sam, for letting us do these uh, videos. Uh, it's so good to feel connected to Dean Court, even though we're long and far away from the stadium. So up the cherries. Up the cherries, indeed. And thanks, Chris Edwards, for submitting. So if you want to get your view on, keep it to about a minute and then get as many thoughts as you can inside 60 seconds. And we'll get your, podcast, uh, your uh, video on the Second Look show on Sunday night. So that's how we're going to do it. Right. Um, Tom, I kind of uh, played devil's advocate on the uh, the pre-match free for, And I said to someone that, you know, what if Dom Solanke's injured? Like, what are we going to do? Like, we need a striker who can score goals, right? We've let this one go. And, and look what he did <laughs> at the weekend, eh? Look what he did. Uh, could, right, could you? No, I'd chuff for him, to be fair. Yeah, me too. Absolutely chuff for him. I mean, we, we've said before, haven't we? You know, whatever you think think about Sam Sarage, and I think the, the money that is talked about, I think it was probably best for all parties. Listen, I quite like the fact that Sam Surridge has, has obviously gone in and gone, I want to play more football. Uh, you know, I've, I've been a kind of backup player for a long time and I want to play more football. Credit to him, it would have been easy for him to just be a backup player, wouldn't it, in his hometown. So, yeah, I'm really pleased that he's, that he's scored. And I think he'll just be, he's that sort of player. He does cause a nuisance. He's not fantastic, but he'll cause a nuisance to defenders and he will get the old goal. And he, he showed that coming on the pitch and, and firing one in quite well. So I was really pleased for him, but it was typical. Um, that, that he'd done that the first time of asking, especially in a game that was 2 2 and needed a last minute goal like we did. But um, no, generally, I'm not not bitter about it. I'm, I want to see him do well, to be fair, apart from when he plays us. Yeah. But yeah, we, and it was against Reading, and it was against Reading, exactly. Um, so that, that did make it a bit sweeter. But you're not, yeah, a, fan, definitely... are you, you're not a fan of the Royals, Tom, <laughs> not particularly, but I'm not really, oh. not really concerned about him either because, um, you know, we'll give him a 20 point lead, they'll still finish above us, not a problem. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I think, um, I think it's definitely an area we're obviously going to strengthen in in some point. As Chris said, we've got quite a thin roster. I like that. I like that thin roster. I might use that a bit more. But um, yeah, so we, we need, you know, Sadie's, you know, had the opportunity the other day and done really well. But yeah, we definitely need someone to try and push them or at least be an alternative or, you know, a game where someone can join him. I still feel like what happened a lot last season, Don gets so isolated too much. And I think it'd be nice to have that option um, and also not relying on him every game don't know i haven't seen too many murmurings probably end up being alone as long as it's not shane long it'll be all right there's there's three obvious answers i think to the question that i'm about to pose to you kurt but i'm gonna i'm only gonna allow you to pick two um Ooh. so if you've got two uh positions that you feel as though we really need to strengthen where would your priorities be goalkeeper oh, yeah you know like i will allow you to reference the third but let's just call it two <laughs> That's um, cheating. Yeah. I'm, I'm happy with two, to be fair. Uh, goalkeeper, yeah. 100%. I had a very good goalkeeper last season, 17 clean sheets. Definitely earned us many, many points um, and helped us get to the playoffs. And if we, if our target is playoffs again, which is what I'm understanding when Scott Parker come in, um, is that we need a good goalkeeper. And not just because I don't think Travers is up to it, but I think he, like Tom said, he needs to go away and actually gain some experience. It did Rams, they'll know no harm. 
And look where Ramsdale, well, he's back in the championship, but he's gone and ended up with the England squad in the Euros. And he had, mm. although he got relegated, he had a very good season in the Premier League, didn't he? Um, but we definitely need another good goalkeeper. You know, not necessarily needs to be older. You know, I know we keep talking about Woodman, but he's got that experience, finished with 20 clean sheets, whatever it was, you know, the, the Golden Glove, whatever they call it last mm. season. So, but definitely need some more security behind those centre-backs and back four. Then we need a striker. I mean, I, I, I know the money was probably right for Sam Sarge, but I still don't really get it. I mean, I received a message over the weekend, actually, through someone who apparently knows Sam Sarge quite well from Upstoke and said that um, it was more Sam Sarge wasn't given the reassurances he was going to get a lot of game time. Um, and I don't know if that's that's true or not. So maybe he asked to, to go as well as maybe the money was on the table. Um, Don won't, won't take us to the playoffs. He'll score goals, but he won't blast us to the Premier League. I'm, I'll, I'll stand by that for a two years running. And um, Sadie, we, we we can't pin too many hopes on. He, he's, a, he's a great prospect. The only issue and question I maybe have for maybe Tom and Neil is if Sam Surridge felt like he wasn't going to get the chances and the opportunities to add value to this team this season, and he did last year, by the way, um, is what other striker would come in? Because surely their agent and their question would be, am I playing second fiddle to Don or am I going to get just as equal opportunities? That's always the issue when you're trying to strengthen a squad, isn't it? Is they're going to know they're, they're second fiddle to Dom Solanke. Um, so so that would be difficult. It's, that's why I think it's probably going to be uh, a lone striker of someone that's just going to get a few minutes, whereas you would get none otherwise. You know, they're talking about the lap at Man City, people like that. Um, I think that's probably the route we'll go down. Um, I think if we could ideally get someone that could play on the wing as well, then that kind of rules out the, let me get a goalkeeper and a striker slash winger. That'd be, that'd be quite handy, but I really yeah. don't know what we're going to do. I think Sam Sarge was a perfect backup striker in my opinion, but yeah, I, I heard similar that it was more him banging the door down and saying, if I'm not playing every week, then I, I want to go and try my luck elsewhere, which you can't blame me either. But I probably agree. It's, if I had to, I'm still going to have to say we do need a goalkeeper and I would probably go for a, for another striker as well. And, Someone that can push Dom as well. Let's just not just get a backup. Let's get someone that can really push no. Dom. And if Dom was get a couple of games and he hadn't scored, you're out. Do you know what I mean? Like he was, he, he needs that. And um, we need someone that's gonna gonna try and help us. So you know, think of that season when we got promoted. You know, Callum Wilson. You had Kerber good at Brett Pittman. Kerber good and Pittman were really good at kind of alternating and both going to double mm. figures. So um, yeah. But surely we're gonna get at least one striker. Yeah, I think. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, all of this hinges on Dan Juma leaving, doesn't it? That's the. I don't. I don't expect to see any unlocking of anything until he leaves. I think that's the that's the final piece in the jigsaw. I know we talked about Lerma earlier in terms of if you need to if you need to raise cash because the positions we need to strengthen. Hundred percent goalkeeper. I don't think any fan would disagree with that. Even if even if you're a massive Travers fan, we need a good backup for Travers. But uh, you know, I think we all want someone that will play with Travers as the backup. Uh, Dominic Solanke only ever does it against the bottom half of the championship. He's a flat track bully. He doesn't do it um, consistently or, or play consistently well against the top the top sides. And that's that's the issue that I have with him is that he wasn't a Premier League striker. So therefore, he doesn't score goals against teams that are destined for the Premier League. He, he'll get you, you know, a sea of goals against, you know, the likes of Blackpool, I'm sure. Uh, so we have to go. We have to see Dominic Solanke as the backup centre forward, in, in my view. And we need to get a centre forward who's a first choice centre forward with experience and blow the cash on that because that's what gets you up. Goalkeeper and centre forwards that score goals get you up. So um, wingers, not particularly a concern for you, Tom, just yet? I mean, I suppose it is. I think I certainly think Jane Nantney is going to play a, big, a bigger part than maybe we, we realised. 
Junior Stanislas will, will might get a few games out of him. Um, and you know when he's fit, he, he's a he's a good player. Brooksy, I, I never really described Brooksy as a winger, but he is a, a no. player that obviously plays from a wide position. Um, yeah, but we we are probably like that if Dan Juma, obviously. If we're we're talking about this like assuming he'll go, obviously. We have Raquel May as an option last season, who's obviously gone as well. So yeah, we definitely we're probably a bit like yeah. that last season. So yeah, I think we we could do with another winger, but if the question was two, then I think priority is still. Yeah. I think ideally it'll be a goalkeeper, a winger, and a striker. I think that would be yeah. ideal for everyone. There's your three. That's your but three. But Tom only let us have two, so we had to leave the winger out. Yeah. Well, but, um, well, that's it. That's why I thought I played devil's advocate. Just ask you for a couple of them. But look, I'm sure we could talk about this uh, until the cows come home. Uh, and Kirk, I'm sure on your channel there's going to be loads of AFC Bournemouth content. So as a thank you, just got to uh, talk about Cherry's Red Army quickly. Um, it's another YouTube channel. You've hit the big 500. And um, what can people get on your channel? Yeah, so we're doing like an AFC Bournemouth weekly at the moment. I'm not sure it'll continue every week with games coming thick and fast. And Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday probably will run out of time. But we just sort of look at news coming out of the club in the last seven days and what's coming up and then your standard stuff for your previews will be completely different to what we did last year obviously we had interviews and people on with lockdowns but this year they're going to be like quick rapid previews and then we'll get as much content during the games are fine there we'll do some vlogging and if any of the contributors from cherry's red army get footage and we'll get some like five minute reviews and it'll be like rapid videos that you can check in and watch and, and obviously comment and uh cheers for following the channel cheers to back of the net and you sam for always supporting the channel and helping me along the way and hopefully we get some really good moments for some more fans outside of back of the net the number one place for bournemouth fans oh, if you want any if you want any more entertainment we're over at cherry's red army if you need it cool cherry's red army.co.uk check it out thanks for your time tonight kirk really appreciate it mate thank you really appreciate it cheers guys Neil, great to have you back. Fantastic insight as ever. Really enjoyed it. Yep, lovely. See you, see you at Forest and Birmingham, hopefully, you two. Yeah. Yep. No, Kirk's not here. Sam, Tom, you were there, weren't you? Yeah, I'm we're going to both. So looking forward to it. The Birmingham tickets actually went on sale this morning. So uh, they did. After, yeah, so I need to get on that five plus points by the looks of it. Tom, looking forward to doing Forest next weekend. Where are we going to go for a pre-match drink? I don't know. I've heard about somewhere called Hooters. I might meet you in there for a drink, see what it's like. <laughs> I mean, is that the thing for like most away fans going there, or is that just like like young lads like you? I don't, I, I don't know. I've just been there every time I've I've gone there, and like, no one's no one's mentioned another pub. I've just gone straight to Hooters and see what All happens. Right. Well, um, that that's where we're going to be. So if you fancy um, a drink before the game, uh, come into there and say hello. And uh, also, we'll be outside the stadium afterwards um, doing some free for all content. So I appreciate as many people as we can try to upload it on the way back. Really appreciate it, Tom. As ever, thank you very much, mate. Cheers, boss. Brilliant to have the boys on. And as I say, if you want to see that podcast before you hear it, every Sunday night it's on our YouTube channel and we'll give it to you at 8pm. Like I say, there will be some visual references and pictures on screen and mentions of comments from people that are chatting live. And I hope that doesn't spoil your enjoyment of listening in the car because you're probably thinking, who on earth is that? What are they talking about? Well, that's because we're looking at things that you obviously can't see. So to get some context, you might want to subscribe to our YouTube channel. But if you're okay with what we're doing, don't worry. 
We'll be back next Monday for more as we'll have just played Nottingham Forest. Hopefully we'll get our first win on the board and take us up to four points. Until then, though, thanks very much for listening. This has been Back of the Net, the AFC Bournemouth podcast. Billings trying to flick again. Come back to the ball. This is Jaden Anthony. Swept in.